the Michael Durier podcast. Michael Durier, the Machbarian, all day, all night. Ray. Yes. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's Monday, the 16th of January, 2023, and we're both still here. One of two things is going to happen, right? We're either going to live or die, and neither one of us have died yet. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so I want, I'm really glad to have Ray on the show here today and talk to our listeners. And what I wanted to talk about today Let's actually pray to get started. Can we okay, do that? Please do. Lord, just bless our conversation. Anoint it. Let those things that are from you go forth and those things that are not from you be silenced. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus name. Amen. Ray, you have built an image of yourself. This is the way I see you, and you know it too, of yourself in other people's minds as a money person, like a... Someone who knows about money, does things with money, works with money, moves money, invests money, and so forth. And when was the earliest time in your life where you started to see yourself that way? And how old were you? And when was it like, when did, okay, when did Ray start to think, yeah, I'm a, I'm a money person. I'm dealing with money and I want to be viewed that way. And I view myself that way. And well, I'm not sure. I viewed myself, but I wanted others to view me that way. And it was by God's grace, when you're young, you're trying all kinds of ways to make money. And many of them involve multi-level marketing or this concept mm -hmm. or this concept. And somehow you always find the money to get involved in those things and they never produce any money, or at least that was true in my life. Mm -hmm. And I realized uh, through the Holy Spirit that I create an image in people's mind about who Ray Poteet is. And yes. so uh, I started only dealing with things that had money. Uh, if you thought about money, I wanted you to think about Ray. And yeah. that started probably in the late 70s and has continued to this day. I don't do any, I do a lot of things that I don't share with people to do simply because I don't want them to think of me in that capacity. I take a lot of supplements. Uh, I never push supplements on people and I'm not going to because I don't want them to think of me in that nature. I have a pretty good uh, passive income from a supplement company that I invested in mm -hmm. uh, because I believe in their supplements and take them. But I've never shared one time with anyone, hey, you ought to use these supplements. You ought right, to do this. Right. You ought to do that. Because I don't want them to think, well, Ray's now a supplement dealer, not a money person. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I would say, uh, you know, probably from the time I was, um, 
2829 to current is when I thought about that from about, that standpoint. About 50 years. Yeah, about 50 years. <laughs> or so, give almost, or take. Almost, yeah. yeah. And then talk about your uh, financial education. Well, financial education really came through the um, institutions, the American College and and uh, College for Financial Planning and various courses you can take uh, to learn about money. And that's, I, I got my CLU, uh, that's Chartered Life Underwriter, uh, that's a, synonymous with a PhD in life insurance would be a right. way to think about it. Then I got my Chartered Financial Consultant, that's with, supposed to know about investments, <laughs> Yep. Certified pension consultant. And then I took a lot of other courses, either through institutions or insurance companies, all of them really using the compounding of money as a foundation on it. And did you, as you were uh, in, through the process of all this financial education, your CLU and your CHFC and your, and all of this, did they teach you anything about infinite banking or did you hear anything about it at that time? No, zero. So how did you, how did infinite banking become part of your financial education or how did you become aware of it? Well, there was a sales system called leap, which, uh, at, it stood for let every American prosper, which I bought into and was using and, got involved with VIVA's Voluntary Employee Benefit, <clears throat> excuse me, Association. And to me, that was just pre-tax leap mm -hmm. or insurance. And we're writing huge amounts of premium. And, uh, and the government said they were going to change the laws or on this, how they ruled it. And the insurance companies quit issuing policies to VIBAs. So I was out in the cold and I didn't know uh, what I was going to do. I, I wasn't worried because I had a lot of money still under management, making really good money from that. And uh, Nelson Nash's book came across my desk from and didn't have a name on the envelope or anything. And I didn't look to see where it was mailed from, or I don't even think that, I think my office opened it and just brought me the book and there was nothing in it. And I read it and I couldn't believe what I was reading. It was like a, a, a novel of telling me about an industry I was in that I really knew nothing about. And I, uh, I read it again. I read it one afternoon, then I read it again the next day. It's the Becoming Your Own Banker. Banker Nelson's yeah. book, Becoming Your Own Banker. Yep. And I called him that afternoon hmm. and talked to him and various things. And that started the process of where I am today, uh, having read the book uh, many, many times, way over 100. Um, I still read it. And I still get things out of it. And it's just, he, he talked in ways that making you make a shift of realizing 
Where was the money going? Track, follow the money, follow the money. And I had, I thought I had done a good job of that. But after reading Nelson's book and where I am today, uh, if you were grading me on a report, I would have gotten an F and wouldn't have passed the course. Uh, had taken a, a <laughs> lot of time. A lot of people would have been very satisfied with the results I had. I mm -hmm. mean, financially, I was, you know, doing well. Uh, kids were doing well. Family was doing well. We were okay. But there was something more. And that something more was learning how money really works, which mm -hmm. I was never taught until I read Nelson's book and got heavily involved in the banking system. What is the number one difference? Or maybe you can do three or whatever, but if someone were to say, okay, Ray, uh, I'm a little lost. You were doing these investments and you were in the industry and all this, and then you found something that was a totally different paradigm and it's a different space. It's think you said, I didn't really understand how money works until I read Nelson's book and started doing banking. What's the number one difference between what you were doing before you knew about banking, privatized banking or becoming your own banker? What's the number one difference between before and after? Number one difference was I was teaching people how to store their money Today, I'm teaching them how to move their money. Mm. Major, major difference. And what's the advantage over in there? What are the advantages of moving, learning, knowing how to? I love that because, okay, here's something Ray's always taught me. There, we talk about operators and drivers. A driver, if you're a farmer, we'll just say if you have a tractor. A driver will get in your and your a driver will get into that tractor and tear it up, right? And an operator will get in the same tractor and make a profit. So you're coaching people and teaching people how to move money. So it's the knowledge of how to use it and how to move it. Right. What right. What's the advantage of knowing how to move it versus knowing how to store it? Well, the major advantage is use. Who's using it? And I use the grocery store as an example. Everybody goes to the grocery store, they buy the same thing. And mm -hmm. every time it might be a different brand, a different flavor, a different style, but it's the same. Yeah. And nobody that I've talked to yet has said they don't plan on using what they buy. So they didn't buy it to store it up. They bought it to use it or move it. And if you don't move it, it spoils. Well, we were taught to store our money in institutions that move it yeah, rather than us moving it. And so the major difference there is who gets the control and who makes the money from the movement of the money. Mm -hmm. And isn't it true that the money moves by being bought and sold? That's the only way it can be moved. In other words, there is no movement until you sell it. And there's no movement until someone buys it. That's true of a grocery store. They stocked the shelves. They bought it. They now have to sell it to buy it again. The same, it's just really moving money. It's true of McDonald's. It's true of uh, Ruth Chris Steakhouse. It's true of everything. Until something is sold, there is no money. Yeah. 
I mean, and, and I have to say, this is my background in a nutshell. I grew up in a homeschool family, grew up going to church every week. My parents taught me who Jesus was, who the, who the living God was. And if there was one, th- and my great grandfather, whose picture is on my wall because he passed away when I was in college and I knew him very well. And his son, my grandfather built a vending business from scratch and they were entrepreneurs for decades until they sold their business. And then my father was, he still is a CFO and people that, in other words, people that knew about money, they, they knew how to make money. They knew how to handle money. They did well. And if there was one, uh, financial principle they taught me, it was to spend less than I made, spend less than you make, spend less than you make. And over the years that was drilled into me. And for some reason, and, and, and when I got older, I had learned, I started working in high school, you know, and, 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 and I, even before that I worked for the neighbor and I'd save my money and then I'd buy a paintball gun, but then I'd save more or whatever I do. And I don't know what I had when I was 18 or 19, when I graduated high school, maybe $20,000. And so I had money accumulated because I had spent less than I made. And so it was in the bank and I started trying various things put my money in some stocks, lost money, (laughs) put my money in this, put my money in that. And when I finally met you, I still had that savings account that was, it was that classic savings account where I was accumulating it up and, and it was my emergency fund. And then I had my cash flow from whatever I was doing, working or whatever. No one had ever taught me that money was something that was being bought and sold. I knew, I knew paintball guns were being bought and sold. I knew fishing rods were being bought and sold. I knew cars were being bought and sold. I mean, I even understood that people's time is being bought and sold. You know, you sell your time to an employer for money in return to make a living and whatever. But no one had ever talked to me about how money is being bought and sold, which is really what banks, that's what they do is buy and sell money, correct? Correct. If you realize that a grocery store doesn't grow their own produce, they buy it at one price, sell it at another price. What banks buy is money. Yeah. And they buy it at one price and sell it at another price. There's a real estate investor that I listen to from time to time because he's been successful and he, he has deeper principles of life that go along with his business. But one of the things he said was, Whenever all the newspapers come out and say something, I want to go do the opposite. He says, like, if all the newspapers say, don't go to Iran, man, I got to go to Iran. <laughs> He's like, I, I want to go to Iran and see whatever they're telling. What are they trying to get me to not look at? And so when I, in the course of my financial education, I read this book, I read that book, I tried this, I tried that. Everybody was kind of all telling me mostly what I, everything I'd always heard. And so when I sat down, I remember the first time I sat down with you in Lawrence, it was you and Nate together. And you talked to me about things that I'd never heard anybody talk about. And most of it was the movement of money and the buying and selling of money. And as you talked, it was obvious that what you were saying, it's not made up. It's what's going on all day, every day. I mean, there's people buying and selling I mean, unbelievable amounts of money every day, but, but no one had ever talked to me about it and no one ever told me that I could do it too and that I could build wealth using that. 
And it's so, but we can, right? I mean, and how do we, how do we go? But how do we start is okay. Well, I want to do that, but how do I start? Well, like <clears throat> you've already said, you have to live on less than you make. And it says in second Timothy two, six, that the hardworking farmer should be the first partaker of the fruit. Mm. Uh, very few people really pay themselves for the work they do. Therefore, they're in slavery without knowing it. Oh, yeah. So they need to, like you said, learn to live on less than you make, take that difference, and create a bank. Yeah. That was the first big lesson that I learned with you. I was living on less than I made, but I was paying myself last. I pay myself first now, and I've been doing that every month for since 2018, Good. spring of 2018. Good. And it only gets better the more you do it. Right. <laughs> so that's good. What, um, what are the most important things that you've learned about banking in the last five years, the last five years you've been doing IBC? What it actually means, the perpetual compounding of money. Um, you see it much better today than five years earlier. I don't care where you're at, just by looking at your policy and look at the annual growth today compared to five years ago. And it's the perpetual compounding of money that allows that to happen. The other thing I noticed is that it's easy to fall back into the old game mm. and not uh, make your payments. I see a lot of my clients uh, not treating banking as a business, but sort of like a hobby, which it mm. shouldn't be. It is a very, very important business for every family to be doing. And I would say the other thing I've really noticed is people get scared much easier about money than they should. They limit the size of their policies mm. and that out of, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? And we don't know what will happen. I'm a pretty positive person. So uh, have I got myself in a pickle from overcommitment? I have made probably more overcommitments than anyone. And I'm, as I look back today, I wish it was even worse than I had done because it's all been better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in other words, I don't regret any one of those steps that I took at the time or within two years or three years, I can tell you, I thought about it in 2017. I worried about how much interest I was paying to the insurance companies today. I, if that same number came up, well, we're, we're spending almost twice as much as we were in 2017. So I've doubled the amount of money I've borrowed. Mm -hmm. And, but things are a lot better, even at double that. Mm -hmm. How many people have you sat down with roughly and tried to pour into them, explain to them infinite banking? Well, actually poured into and spent time with, I would say, um, that only really became a ministry 
because there's so much to infinite banking. I know the numbers very well, and people think that's infinite banking. Infinite banking is really ministering to people through the power of the Holy Spirit to benefit their family. So I would say that that's probably less than four or five hundred. Well, well, I've actually spoken with over five thousand. Mm-hmm. So let's take the four or five hundred of those people that you've really spent a lot of time with. What are like the top two easy to understand or easily identified as the top two hurdles that they tended to run into and they finally overcame and really allowed them to succeed with infinite banking? Uh, Number one, be loan repayments. Number two is capitalization of policies. Okay, so what's explain a loan repayment. Well, people get all uptight with the word loan or debt or various things, but if you see yourself as a bank and realize that, okay, I'm paying my bank, I'll just use $1,000. Wow, that's $1,000 out of my account. Not really. It goes back into another account called a policy that has that $1,000 or more available so all you really did was move it so we call it a deposit rather than a payment overcoming that because it's so contrary to the way we think we think of the insurance company's premium as a payment we think of it as an expense and you have to gradually uh, the quicker you do it the faster you will move in banking you have to see that that was not a payment that it wasn't an expense, it was a deposit and availability as an asset to use again. Mm. So that's... That's true of the loan repayments and the capitalization, the, but, both of well, those Well, the capitalization, I, how long am I committing to this? And I said, well, how long are you going to live? You know, you, you're going to breathe for life. You might as well capitalize for life. Yeah. Well, what if I capitalize today and die tomorrow? Bingo. I mean, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. that's the way I think. I just yeah. beat the insurance company and my, com- and my family's got a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Either I'm going to have it or my family's going to have it. There's no losing in this system. Well, what I see there with your capitalization, and I've seen this with you with your clients, actually, because I've been a... Ray has given me the privilege of being a fly on the wall and then upgrading from fly to assistant and, <laughs> and forward. But it's, I've seen it so many times and it's just like an honored partnership now. And it's amazing. Um, what they say, how long am I committing to this? What they're really saying is Ray, I've made so many deposits into my own bank and I can't stand it. When can I stop depositing to myself? <laughs> Right. I mean, that's what I hear when they say it. I'm like, wait a minute. It's like Nelson said, the world is a stage and all the people are actors on the stage. And we're used to the banker being somebody else. And we cannot, it's like people have, and I'm still there. I'll acknowledge it. I'm less there than I was. I still don't like the word loan payment. It's like, but when I'm, but it's amazing when I took it, it was $1,200, no, $1,100 that I borrowed from the policy that I have on my son to get a new washing machine for my wife. And I remember filling out the paperwork to make regular loan payments on that, and I hated it. 
And then four months later, I looked back and there was all this money in my policy. And I was like, wait a minute, all those loan payments went to me, <laughs> you know? And I don't care if it's 1200 or 12,000 or 12 million. When you, after you've made 10 or 15 or 20 loan payments and you go look at your cash value, if you're not happy, I'll buy your policy from you because I want the money. <laughs> you know? I mean, but it's just, that's the thing is that those words, premium and loan payment, it, those, those words, like, it's like they deflate us mentally because for our whole life, those words meant that money was leaving us, that we were losing it. But when we're the bank, when the policy is just a, an account that goes that money goes into, a premium is just a deposit. And when I'm the banker and there's loan payments being made, I get that money too. And suddenly I've got all this, I've made all these quote payments and premiums and I have all this money. It's like, wait a minute, where'd the money come from? <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> Excuse me. The reality is as a banker, loans are assets and deposits are liabilities that become assets because you loan it out. Yeah. So I love premium or payments or deposits. And I love loan repayments or loans because they're deposits. And the more of those I can have, the greater my passive income is with no taxation. I think that's something that is growing on me more now than it ever has is the amount of money that's available without taxes is just yeah. Unreal. Unreal. It's pretty neat not ha not having to re have passive. Well, it's, and it proves what Robert Kiyosaki always says. He says there's three types of income, earned income, portfolio income, and passive income. Earned income is wages for employment. Portfolio is you buy and sell a stock for a profit. So that's portfolio and passive income is like what we do with banking. Right. And there's, and he always said, there's no taxes on passive income. Well, that's what we get to do, isn't it? I really like doing what we do. <laughs> yes. It's pretty cool being able to make money with no taxes. Yes. Now, if I just can't see myself ever getting tired. Now, Ray, when the, all this income I have with no taxes, it's driving me crazy. When is it going to stop? You know? When you stop, <laughs> when you stop, and then when, it'll be a huge, what we call windfall for the family. And if instructed properly, they will already have the instruments and the policies in place to continue the family legacy that was created by the patriarch or matriarch who started the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a great concept. I'm so thankful for it. So anyway, well, just to our listeners out there, this has been Michael Durier, yours truly, and Ray Petit. And uh, if you guys, it's, we just, we are here, we view this as our ministry, don't we? I do. Yes, we do. Yeah. And it's, we go to Kingdom at Work, that great people down in Lubbock, Texas, and they, and they have done a great job of showing how all the work that we do in the marketplace can be done in the kingdom and for God and for the edification of his people. Amen. And I just fully believe, and I know, I know 
God did not intend his people to be beholden to the commercial banks of the world. He wanted us to have freedom to control the banking. Well, he said <clears throat> the borrower should be a slave to the lender. Yes. And if they happens, the lender happens to be you, there's no slave ship. So praise God. Praise God for that. Ray, thank you. You're welcome. Glad. Thank you for inviting me. Let's do it again sometime. Give me a call. Will do. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed it, go listen to another one.